Okay, we were inundated with voicemails after I bashed Trump yesterday. Most of you called in defending Trump, which is great. I love your passion. I'm happy we can disagree about this stuff in a respectful way. And look, even I think this is just a tiny blip on the radar. Of course, the media, oh, the media blowing this so far out of proportion. And they are such such hypocrites. They have such a double standard. Trump didn't commit treason. He, his staff members should not resign in protest. And Obama was guilty of treason, as we're going to get to here. And the media gave him a pass for years and years and allowed Putin to get stronger and more dangerous. Obama did nothing. And, you know, most of you say, listen, Trump, he needed to stay re respectful of Putin. He needed to stay friendly with him to have a better working relationship. I still don't believe that excuses his actions, but I respect your opinion and I do understand Trump's mindset there. I think this has a lot more to do with the fact that if he admits to Russian meddling there at that press conference, then the media will go nuts, pounce and say, oh, you see that? He colluded with Russia because to the media, it's all the same thing. They don't recognize that Russians could meddle without Trump have being involved in any way. I love how Putin offered to interrogate the Russians who were died. We'll interrogate them for you. Don't worry. And you can even sit in. Mueller could sit in there while we while the KGB or whatever they're called now interrogates these Russians. All right, thank you. Yeah, that's going to resolve all of this. But listen, the media and the Democrats, for eight years, I had to watch Obama literally commit treason. I mean, he whispered to Dmitry Medvedev, the president of Russia at the time. He said, tell Vladimir, because Vladimir was in control. Medvedev was a puppet. Tell Vladimir, I'll have more flexibility after the election. After November, I'll have more flexibility. And that was on a mic. It was an, a live open mic that Obama thought was off. He, who knows what he whispered when we weren't able to listen. I, that was what always amazed me. It's not what he said. It's the fact that this tells you that there are so many things that go on, these backroom things between Obama and our enemies, Putin, Iran, you name it, Syria, who knows? And uh, we have no way of knowing that. So if we happen to have overheard this on a live mic and the media gave Obama a pass, I sat there pulling my hair out for years. Trump does it publicly. See, Trump, unlike Obama, he's not two-faced. He doesn't hide it. You know, he doesn't whisper to these people. He says it outright. He's not afraid. And it's like, you know, if the media is going to go nuts, then let them go berserk. Let them go haywire. So Obama allowed Putin to take over most of the United States is in uranium. I mean, how egregious is that? And the media gives him a pass. You know, Putin became a massive threat. Putin meddled with our elections, not under Trump, but under Obama. And Obama did nothing. So, you know, and then Romney called him out on it, by the way, and said number one threat is Russia. And Obama laughed at him off. Like, oh, number one threat is Putin. Is Russia? Give me a break. So, you know, the media, it's unbelievable. You know, just watching that, how they get away with this stuff. Now, and by the way, Trump is much tougher on Putin. You know, he just doesn't flaunt it, but uh, Trump actually killed, you know, coalition forces in Syria killed a bunch of Russian soldiers here a few months back. And he's been tough, you know, helping Ukraine defend itself against Putin. So he may not be talking the talk, but unlike Obama, he's walking the walk. Now, by the way, this whole thing was a big setup by Rosenstein. You know, Rosenstein set Trump up with these indictments last week, forcing him basically to admit meddling there in public, to admit that the Russians meddled, and Trump didn't take the bait. You know, like I said, had he taken the bait, then it would have been very disastrous as far as, you know, the media would have portrayed it as Trump admitting that he colluded. So Trump was really stuck in a very, very difficult spot. And how he hasn't fired Rosenstein yet is beyond me. Rosenstein's supposed to be a, a Republican working for Trump. And yet he's literally setting Trump up 
for total to, to be totally embarrassed. You know, pretty amazing. Now, and Trump, of course, did issue a correction himself. He said that he misspoke. He said he meant to say, he said, I don't see any reason that Russia would have been involved in meddling. He said he meant to say would not. I don't see any reason that Russia wouldn't have been involved uh, in the meddling in the election. I don't think that changes very much, but clearly there he is trying to mollify people. Again, this does not negate all the good that Trump did, even if you have an issue with what he did. And I have my issues. I know a lot of you don't. I look at it like a bank account. You know, there's parenting experts out there who say that parenting children, it's a bank account. There's deposits and there's withdrawals. In other words, you know, everyone kind of has their, or almost everyone has their moments as a parent where they make mistakes or maybe say the wrong thing or lose it or whatever. And it's like, all right, one big mistake. And then, you know, one mistake. And then what happens? You know, like that, that's it. Like you lose your relationship with your kid. And the answer is, at least a lot of experts say this, that it's a bank account. You know, sometimes you make, if, if overall, if overall you keep making what they call deposits, which means you keep doing good things, positive things, and then every once in a while there's a negative thing. Now, if the negative outweighs the positive, then obviously you go bankrupt. You know, obviously uh, you're in the red. You know, you overdraft. But the idea is that if for the most part you're doing positive, every once in a while we'll forgive a negative. We'll overlook when you kind of have a blip on the radar. So I'm fine with that. And by the way, remember that this is Trump's M.O. This is what Trump does. He says outrageous things, but then his actions are where he really shines. So look at what he's done, how much he's weakened Russia. You know, Syria, Russia tried to use Syria as a major strategic stronghold there in the Middle East. And Trump made it very difficult for him. Ukraine, as we mentioned before. And NATO, by the way, Trump goes to NATO and he says, we're going to strengthen NATO. And he says, give me more money. We've got to be stronger. And guess what? NATO's number one job is really to defend against Russia. So what Trump was doing there was de facto really working against Putin with the NATO allies. You know, and by the way, I would not be surprised if Trump right now has a strategy in place to prevent meddling in the coming election here. He's not going to say it publicly because he doesn't want the Russians know he, to know he's on to him, but I bet he's working with the intelligence agencies. I, I'd be shocked if this wasn't happening, making sure that security is tighter, that the Russians have no way to meddle in the election here coming up in November. He wants this to be a completely legitimate election. So, you know, we're going to see how that all plays out. Now, there was an interesting tweet that, of course, nobody noticed from Trump on Tuesday. Quote, I had a great meeting with NATO. They have paid $33 billion more and will pay hundreds of billion dollars more in the future only because of me. NATO was weak, but now it is strong again. And then in parentheses, bad for Russia. In other words, he's pointing out that by strengthening NATO, he's actually hurting Russia. The media, back to the quote, the media only says I was rude to leaders, never mentions the money. So that's what Trump tweeted on Tuesday, you know, and he's 100% right. All right, Iran unbelievable news from Iran. Nothing shocks me at this point. But Iran has actually kept their promise to advance their nuclear program. This is what they threatened to do as a result of Trump backing out of the nuclear deal. And they advanced their nuclear program. And astonishingly, what they're doing is completely legal, completely within the rules of the bogus nuclear deal. Here's what they did. They built a factory. Years ago, they built a factory that can produce rotors for centrifuges, up to 60 centrifuges a day to, to enrich uranium. They built a factory that can produce rotors that, that, that can for, for 60 centrifuges per day. Okay, that's what the head of Iran's atomic agency said on t today, Wednesday. And I don't doubt that he's right. Now, here's what's amazing. This doesn't violate the agreement. And now they've actually put the factory into operation. So they are now creating centrifuges. They cr they're creating rotors for centrifuges up to 60 a day. 
Now, here's where it really blows your mind. They actually built this factory while negotiations were going on. They said, all right, let's get this factory built now. And then even after the negotiations, they're allowed to produce these rotors. They're, they're allowed to produce these centrifuge parts, basically. They're not allowed to actually enrich uranium. To, they're allowed to enrich uranium too right now, by the way, but only low levels. They can't do high levels of enrichment. But they've actually, they're, they're putting everything in place, in other words. And they're saying, they're saying, listen, worst case scenario, we'll just wait seven or eight more years until the sunset provisions, until the nuclear deal expires, at least this part of it. And then we're going to be enriching uraniums at high levels, basically uh, nuclear weapon grade uranium. So what's amazing about this is how on earth does this not violate the agreement? Number one, they're allowed to have that factory. Number two, they're even allowed to put that factory in operation. And as I want to thank the listener who emailed me this story, this just broke, you know, they, they're admitting it. They're saying, listen, here's our plan. We're going to be creating nuclear bombs here in a few years when the deal expires, you know, so and, and, and like they don't even have to hide this. They can like outwardly admit it. I mean, it, it just shows you, you know, and then of course the media, you know, Trump is the bad guy, but Obama, wow, Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Look at Obama's legacy. Iran nuclear deal. Wow. He keeps the world safe. All right. There's a new study at University of California. Conservatives believe that their lives are more meaningful than liberals. They polled conservatives and they polled liberals and they asked them basically, you know, does your life have meaning? Do you feel that your life has meaning? And conservatives are more likely to say that their lives have meaning than liberals. Liberals were more likely to say, no, my life doesn't have meaning. Now, now has anybody, I saw this right away. I'm not at all surprised. They're saying, well, conservatives tend to be more religious than liberals. And there's truth to that. You know, the most conservatives or at least many, many, many conservatives uh, are religious, whereas many liberals are not, as you can imagine. I don't know how any religious person, you know, could be liberal, at least socially liberal. But the point is that, you know, conservatives, they live lives with values. You know, they're actually helping other people. And liberals, for the most part, have no values, have no moral. I know I'm going to get some people upset about this. You can be liberal and have morals. They're trying to help poor people. They're trying to redistribute. Well, by the way, speaking of that, in Chicago, there's a politician in Chicago now talking about universal basic income, implementing it in Chicago. I mean, can you imagine a city the size of Chicago having universal basic income? Somebody's got to pay for it, folks. Somebody actually has to pay. It's very nice theory. Let's give out money to people for free. They don't have to work, but there's one problem. You actually have to get the money from somewhere. But anyway, that's the study here. Conservatives, for the most part, believe their lives are meaningful. Liberals, there are liberals who do think their lives are meaningful, obviously, but more, more conservative than liberal as far as that. Pretty amazing. Now, two thieves were caught uh, trying to steal bricks out of Auschwitz, out of, you know, the Auschwitz death camps. The, they, they, uh, now it's a, it's, a, it's a museum where people could go in and witness, of course, what happened. Many, many people go there. And two thieves were caught trying to steal bricks from, I think, one of the crematoria. Now, does it get any lower? Does it get any more egregious and depraved than stealing artifacts from Auschwitz? And this is a recurring problem. This has happened multiple times over the years where people have tried to steal artifacts from Auschwitz. At one point, there, there's a sign. Uh, I guess when you walk into one of the parts of Auschwitz, famous sign, the, the sign says, you know, Arbit macht frei, which means work will set you free. Of course, the disgusting, evil, uh, uh, you know, it's unspeakable. I can't even use words to describe the Nazis, of course, Yamach Shemam, you know, because what they did was so unspeakable, the horror. I mean, I just, there are no words to use to describe it, but, you know, that was the sign that they had, and somebody actually stole that sign. I guess they recovered it. Now, this is, from what I understand, I'm told, I've never been there, but I'm told by people who have been there, 
you know, that th this is really a symptom of a much deeper systemic problem over there uh, among the Polish people. You know, they just view it as like a museum. You know, they don't understand. They have very little sensitivity. I think there's a pizza store, if I'm not mistaken, not far from there, maybe even on the premises. I don't, I don't know, but, but nearby. And it's just a tourist attraction. That's what it is to them. And, of course, therefore, they could steal this stuff. I wanted to mention this, you know, because I think we have to recognize the mindset. You know, it's really important. You know, hopefully most of us still are very sensitive even as time goes by. And, you know, we don't have, of course, that generation of survivors nearly as much as it was. And, you know, Rahman al-Azlan, they're dying out. You know, so it's very important to keep the memory, of course, alive and seared into our uh, into our thoughts and into our minds at all times and to recognize that for most of the world, you know, this is just history. It's just a tourist attraction. They they have no clue and they, they, they don't even care, you know. So just very important to bring that to everybody's attention. Okay, the embassy now, the the embassy in Jerusalem, the U.S. embassy, the costs are going to be higher uh, than President Trump projected. Now, the media is saying, oh, look at this, Trump said $250,000, and it turns out that it's costing about $21 million for the refurbishing, whatever they're doing there, to the embassy in Jerusalem. And, you know, the media is making it like, wow, it's so way beyond Trump's estimate. Now, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what President Trump was thinking, but the context here is it was initially it was going to cost a billion dollars. You know, uh, the ambassador went to Trump and said, all right, new embassy, a billion dollars. And Trump, like he flipped out a billion dollars. you got to be kidding me. Trump said, now we can do it for $250,000. Now, again, maybe it's Trump's old hyperbole. I don't know, but it turns out it's costing $21 million. The initial payment was about $250,000, but they've had to do a lot of work since then. Before they opened it, that's all it cost. But now in the last few months, that, that bill has gone up to $21 million. So it's still way below a uh, billion dollars, and $21 million sounds very reasonable. Not that I really have you know, <laughs> my expertise here in how much it costs to build embassies. But of course, you know, as usual, the media is twisting it all around. And finally, the White House projects a $1 trillion deficit in 2019 because of all the increased spending. Uh, and they're saying the tax cuts, which are affecting revenue, although I don't believe long term it is going to affect revenue, but in the short term it does. So the White House's prediction for budget uh, in 2019 says there'll be a $1 trillion deficit. Can we please cut spending. Can we please get rid of the Medicaid expansion and repeal Obamacare? All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.